Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for the Washington Post, and I'm very happy to be joined today by my good friend and one of the best beat writers in the country, Paul Coro from the Arizona Republic, who covers the craziness that is the Phoenix Suns these days. Paul, how are you? I'm, I'm uh, above water. <laughs> I've covered craziness with the Suns before, but it used to be like crazy fun times, you know, like... <laughs> Steve Nash throwing the tricks and Namari and stuff like that. <laughs> right. How many years have you? How many years have you been on the beat at this point, Paul? Uh, coming up on twelve. So you started. You started. Did you start when D'Antoni got there? I started about two weeks after he took over as interim. Okay. Wow. So so you so you were there for that entire run, and now you've been there for the aftermath, which has been, like you said, equal, almost equally crazy, just in the entirely opposite direction. Um. The, yeah. la- the last couple of years have been have been pretty nuts. Now, the the Suns obviously are off to a pretty rough start. I, they're in they're in San Antonio tonight and in Oklahoma City tomorrow, which is um, not exactly the way a team that's struggling wants to try to turn things around. And uh, they came into this season, you know, people thought they were going to have a chance to contend for the play- uh, the last playoff spot in the West. It looked for a while like they might be able to do that, and then. Really, over the last month, things have just kind of gone completely sideways for them. So what do you think has been the biggest factor in in everything kind of getting thrown up in the air so far? Um, whew, that's a loaded one. I would say defensively has been the biggest disappointment with them. A lot of what they did in the offseason was to correct three main areas, defense, chemistry, and shooting. Uh, the shooting has been fixed. They got, you know, one of the, I think, you know, top somewhere in the top ten in three point shooting right now. I think they're at about thirty eight percent as a team. Um, the chemistry is better, like off the court, not necessarily on the court yet. But defense is just where they fell off completely. And they started off decently. It was a little bit of fool's gold early. They were seven and five, but they really hadn't beat anybody. You know, they beat a bunch of losing teams. Their only quality win was against the Clippers, and it was a night where. Uh, Chris Paul and Reddick were both out, and Blake Griffin got ejected in the second quarter. So it was definitely an asterisk by that one. But they were ranking high in defense, and it looked like it was improved, and they thought, you know, by bringing in Tyson Chandler and having a guy like Ronnie Price off the bench, and they thought Brandon Knight and Eric Bledsoe together would be this <clears throat> kind of pressuring, uh, good on-ball backcourt, and they're last in the league in opponent field goal percentage. And it's just... Uh, undermined everything else you know when and they have turnover issues that exasperated and um but more than anything you know they thought having two backline defenders like tyson chandler and alex lynn would help you know clean up a lot of mistakes and uh you know wing defenders like pj tucker but the guard defense just hasn't been that good and and now they're in even even in a more quandary with eric bledsoe out for the rest of the season yeah, and Eric, I mean, without Bledsoe, like you said, that just becomes a huge problem. Um, now, what do you what do you think that is? What has been the problem with with their their defense? Because it it seems like you know they've got a lot of athletic guys on the perimeter, even without Eric, and it it seems like they should be able to at least check guys somewhat. So, I mean, it, as it, do you think it's been scheme stuff of guys not been putting in the work at that end? Like, what, what do you think has been the biggest cause? Um, you know, the, the, this is still a pretty young team and it's a lot of guys who haven't tasted success. It didn't help that Tyson Chandler was out for eight straight games in November with a hamstring injury. And he was supposed to sort of be the, the defensive captain and, and vocal guy out there. So that 
change that plan. Um, but just the the ability of a young team to to bring it on a regular basis. I mean, you're not going to bring it all 82 in the NBA, but you know these guys, most of them have never had big roles on good teams uh, until they brought Tyson in, and so uh, they're still learning that. It's a lot of early 20, mid 20 type guys, and you know the guards. Bledsoe's a really good on-ball defender, one of the best in the league. And he was getting two steals a game on his career high, but just the the consistency of doing it all the time and uh, the communication uh, between each other. They they weren't a good team about carrying out the tasks. Uh, you know, before Mike Longabardi was fired, he was the defensive coordinator, and guys got a great history of coaching defense. You know, especially with the Boston teams, and you know, a great teacher in Thibodeau. But um, you know, the team just wasn't carrying over the lessons into games and they would not uh stick to the game plans um guys could drift off the ball uh but the you know just simple things like the blow buys on the guards brandon you know brandon knight and eric blitzo were both experienced yeah it's it's been you know you mentioned that they uh they just fired mike longabardi mike longabardi and uh jerry sickting the other day um i guess sunday night that was right um yeah, after, pretty unprecedented type of NBA move to, yeah. to fire your assistants midseason. Yeah, and those were basically basically Jeff Hornacek's top two guys. So I wanted to transition into that, and you kind of you kind of set it up nicely. So, um, you know, in Jeff's first year two years ago, um, the Suns were almost made the playoffs after they were expected to be one of the two worst teams in the league by everyone coming into the season. Um, really, kind of stunned the league. Jeff was kind of the the toast of the league in terms of, you know, young coaching candidates. Um, seemed like he was a guy that was going to be in Phoenix for a long time, had been a, a really good player in Phoenix for a long time. Um, but then last year, the Suns had a lot of close losses. They, they kind of struggled, finished, you know, in the high 30s and wins, missed the playoffs. And then, you know, this year things have just not gone well at all. There was talk earlier, you know, late last week and into the weekend that Jeff might get fired, then his assistants get fired, like you said, which is just a very strange move to make in the NBA. Um, where do you think uh, where do you think Jeff stands right now, and, and why do you think things have changed so much since that really successful first season? Well, a lot of that first season was just, like you said, the expectation bar was so low, and there was a bunch of guys on that team who were being given opportunities that they'd never had before. And so there was a, you know, it was a kind of a coach's dream. He had this roster of guys who were all in prove it mode and everything was feel good. Everybody was happy with, you know, shots and uh, opportunities and minutes and, and, uh, everything the Suns were doing was, you know, I think they were predicted to win in the twenties that season. And they went, you know, won 48 games, which would be a playoff team any other year in the NBA. Um, and then that, turned the next year into guys expecting a little bit more of a role, you know, thinking a little bit more of themselves for shots and minutes. It affected last season, they brought in Isaiah Thomas, and that messed up the whole chemistry with, you know, trying to work in three point guards who all have had the ball in their hands all their lives and trying to work that out and have one of them off the bench and not want to be off the bench. And they blow it up mid-season, and he had no chance then because, the, you know, the roster was – was difficult in the beginning and then he has it blown up mid season and then Brandon Knight's hurt. So then he had no chance and they finished poorly. So then he comes into this season and he's in the last year of his contract and they don't pick up an option or extend him. So now he's just dangling out there for, and the players know it, that's got to affect everybody coming into camp. Once again, he's got a roster 
that's half new people. You know, as much as they tried to address things for him to fix it, it took it took changing a lot of uh, personnel. So now he's, you know, kind of starting over with some guys. There's not that carryover effect of previous seasons because they flipped this a couple times. So it's a lot of those things built up. Um, you know, no doubt that he can be a good coach. He was coach of the year years ago. Pop won it, you know, uh, kind of almost, almost, some people would say it'd be a career achievement award for Pop. You know, maybe Hornacek had like a 23-game improvement that year. Um, so, but, and then now he's in this position with a team where it's, it's, you know, one that just frustrates me at times because, you know, he's, he's from that era of Utah jazz teams where everything was precision. Everything was high effort. Everybody was professional day after day. And, and when it's not like that all the time, I think that's, that's maddening for a guy like him that's as, as smart and dedicated to, to the game. Yeah, no, I, from being around Jeff a little bit. Um, uh, I could definitely see that being a problem for him, and and you're right. They have had a ton of turnover in Phoenix um, over the last couple of years. It's been a big churn on the roster. Obviously, you know, you mentioned the Isaiah Thomas experiment last year. That was a disaster that made Goran Dragic mad. They ended up losing him. Um, yeah, it it really has been kind of one thing after another, which I guess leads us into um, general manager Ryan McDonough. Um, you know, he was a guy came in from Boston, a, a young guy, very highly respected around the league. Um, when he got to Phoenix, um, you know, like I said earlier, and you alluded to, you know, he got there and they were supposed to be bad. I mean, they were trying to get a high draft pick. And then that first year, they were so much better than they expected that things have kind of gotten uncalibrated since then. So, um, in regards to all the various moves he's made and kind of the, you know, trying to, you know, signing Isaiah Thomas to a great contract, but maybe upsetting the chemistry on the team. And then um, the whole situation with the Morris twins and, and even even signing Tyson Chandler this summer um, to try to sign LaMarcus when it, it seemed to most people that LaMarcus was destined to go to the Spurs and um, putting him in front of putting Chandler in front of Alex Len, who they drafted in the top five a couple years before. Um, I, I'm just curious, what do you, where do you think – uh, what do you think of the job he's done so far? And, you know, there is a lot of talk that, that Hornacek is on the hot seat. Is there any chance that McDonough is also? Well, he's got um, a long, he's got one more year beyond Hornacek, so that probably helps that a little bit. Um, you know, it's it's a mixed bag of judgment on, on him. I mean, like that first year that you spoke of, you know, he made some moves even as he got in, got into Phoenix uh, for that season and, Look genius. Looked like he totally ripped off Indiana getting Gerald Green and uh, Miles Plumley, and both those guys played huge roles in that year. You know, Miles turned into a starter, and Gerald Green became this huge shooting impact guy that was really popular. Um, there's been, you know, the Bledsoe deal um, was considered a good deal. You know, they came up with a scenario to, you know, when everybody in the league was probably trying to get at Bledsoe in a way. And uh, they had they came up with the creativity to to find a way to involve Milwaukee because they wanted Reddick, uh, and with the Clippers, and so they got Bledsoe. And you know he's he's been a guy that targets value. He's been a guy that's been bold about saying they're going to go after the best players. You know, a year ago, a lot of people in Phoenix were kind of laughing, but you know he said he was going to go after LeBron James, and you know they got secured a meeting, and you know it helped that they have the same edge agent is Bledsoe, but, you know, they went for it. And it's the same thing this summer with going after LaMarcus Aldridge. But this one was a little bit more real. 
Um, you know, by all accounts, even from Marcus Aldridge, you know, there, for a, for a moment there, the Suns were in the lead. It might have been fleeting brief, and maybe it was never going to stick. And you know, because everybody assumed he was going to go to San Antonio from the beginning. But the Suns thought it was real, and they thought it was so real that they made a trade with Detroit to clear some more cap space just to show them uh, how serious they were about you know making sure they had the space for him. And they had walked into that meeting with Tyson Chandler and secured, and Brandon Knight re-signed uh, to impress them. So his drafts have been pretty good. You know, it's it's never easy to draft in the where they do. Uh, he did have a high pick for the Alex Len one, like you mentioned, but the last couple ones were the, that middle ground, and he, he got T.J. Warren and Devin Booker, who both look like good players. And Devin Booker's, you know, with Bledsoe out, is becoming a starter, and he's the youngest guy in the NBA, shooting like 50% from three-point range and looking like more than a shooter. So, um, so like I said, mixed bag of things. Definitely uh, has shown a, a willingness to, to try to fix things. Uh, when he sees things are wrong and, and shows some culpability for mistakes. Yeah, and I, I think he I think he's done a good job. And frankly, I think that, that Jeff overall has done a good job too. I, I um but it, it is always kind of an odd situation in Phoenix with uh with Robert Sarver as the owner. because um, thing things tend to get a little interesting with him. But um we've kind of bounced around to a few things, but well one thing we haven't touched on yet is uh is Markeith Morris. Um He's always been kind of a combustible character, um, him and his brother both. This summer, the, when you mentioned that trade with Detroit to clear cap space, part of that trade was sending his twin brother Marcus to Detroit. Um, Mark Keith and Marcus had kind of a unique contract situation the summer before when they had a, like agreed to split a certain amount of money um, so they could stay in Phoenix together, um, and they thought they'd be there for a while. And then turns out that there was only there a year, and then he got traded. Plus, they have an assault charge hanging over their heads, and Mark Keith wants to get traded. And recently, um, he's been basically been DNP'd a bunch of times and got suspended for throwing a towel at Jeff Hornacek. I mean, the list kind of goes on it of the things that he's been involved in. But um, where where does that whole situation stand at this point in terms of his tenure with the team and? is it inevitable that sometime between now and mid-February when the trade deadline hits that he'll be playing elsewhere? That was an outstanding job of encapsulating. It was a lot of stuff, right? It was a lot of stuff. Yeah, I I don't even think you left out everything, despite how much there's been, except for the fact that he hasn't played very well, um, which doesn't help his trade value on top of the behavior. I think that's part of the predicament here. I think it's become pretty clear to them. Like they, they, They kind of swallowed hard on all the summer stuff, because they needed them. You know, they were, they were trying to be a playoff team and they didn't really have another true power forward because they had Toledovich and John Luer at that position. You know, a couple stretch type fours. Um, not that Keith sometimes isn't a stretch four too, but he's at least got some post-up game and that mid-range game to create his own shot um, and a little bit more brawn to, to cover guys. So they needed it. They figured if they were going to make the playoffs, they need a good Marquise Moore. So they kind of overlooked everything, but he just never has been himself, which is kind of a statement in itself because for four years in the league, Marquise Morris has done nothing but improve. He's improved. You know, I, I would say he was most improved a couple of years ago uh, in the league. Um, so to, for him to regress this year and have odd behavior, misbehavior, uh, shooting like 38 and a half percent, turnovers are way up over last year. Uh, defensive issues, 
just curious things that he does on the court and then the and then the stuff just when you throw a towel at a coach whether he says he intended it or not it was definitely having words with him and showing disrespect enough to get suspended for two games so and you and in phoenix that just reeks because everybody remembers robert or or he doing it to danny ainge and he got run out of town like three days later by Jerry Colangelo. <laughs> so it's just, a, it makes it difficult, I think, to trade him. You know, he's on a good contract. Like you mentioned, he's, it's $8 million a year. For the player he was for four years, that, that should be pretty marketable. And I, I have no doubt that Marquise Morris, with a change of scenery, is going to be a better player. And he'll be a motivated player, too, uh, much like we're seeing with Marcus in Detroit. But um, I just think, you know, a team's got to really believe that he's going to not repeat any of this behavior or play because he does have three more years past this You're, you know you're committing to him if you make a move and it makes it hard for the Suns to get much in return so and I, and I agree with all that I mean I was in Washington with you when he got a delay of game technical on a free throw that wound up costing the Suns a game which was something I had never seen before and was uh was just dumbfounded by the whole thing that was right when the the whole uh, that was in the beginning of kind of the sideways nature of things for the Suns, but um, what do you, do you think he actually does get moved then, or do you think that you know you mentioned McDonough's someone that that does always try to seek out value? Do you think he waits until the summer maybe to do something if they they can't get the right deal by February, or do you feel like this is a situation that just has to be resolved one way or the other in the next couple months? Yeah, I mean he's he's lost a lot of people he's lost the fans um you know he's popular with teammates uh because he does work hard uh like in practice and he's been a good locker room guy still gets along with everybody laughs cheers sad when people miss you know (laughs) all the all the things he should be um you know works up a good sweat every day doing work uh to be ready um but he just he can't deliver and it's and it's really been one of the things that has uh been a crutch for the whole season so i think at some point it has to be resolved you know um they've got what a month and a half to keep looking you you got to figure at some point some nba team out there that's in contention is going to want a quality front court player and we'll put the suns in a better situation to make a deal either that or a team's going to have like an expiring guy that they're that they want to dump and maybe the suns take advantage of that but um you know, McDonough's been pretty sharp about, like you said, the value type stuff. Um, you know, some of the stuff is still to be seen. You know, like they cashed in that Lakers pick for Brandon Knight um, and got him, you know, and they, and they signed people to, to decent deals. You know, Bledsoe and Knight are both on 70 over five. And, you know, in the new CBA, those are going to be good. You know, just like Marquise 32 over four uh, would be. Um, so they do everything with an eye to the future, too. And, and they've created better roster better roster balance going into this year. But um, then again, like a Tyson Chandler deal, you know, he's he's coming off the bench now. That's that's not what they had in mind when they signed him. No, I was going to ask about that. Now, now what what is the is the thought? Pro- now I know he was hurt for a while. Um, you mentioned he that's missed, a big part of it. Mi- so is that is that the main is that the main reason that's been happening, or is that also an eye to trying to get Len some more developmental time? Yeah, I mean they. They they've signed Tyson in part, you know, to say that he's going to be a great mentor for Alex Lynn, and he's been great for him. You know, he's just, he's in his ear constantly, 
in practice, on the bench and everything. And Alex has played well at times, you know, still, still a young guy. He's 22. And so he has his up and down moments. But uh, once Tyson Chandler came back from that hamstring, he was still limited. Like he still couldn't go long periods of time. So actually today was one of the first times that uh, they said that he doesn't have any limitations as far as what he can do minute wise or how long he can play out there. So we'll see how that develops. If it means working him way back, back in the lineup, because this is definitely a position he's not been accustomed to in his career. Um, and the, and Jeff Hornacek right now wants to find some stability in the lineup because he's been flipping rotations and lineups so often to try to find something to work. And right now they're trying to shorten it up and be a little bit more committed to a group and let them live through some mistakes because there are so many young guys. I mean, there's there's a lot of times out there where they're going Devin Booker, 19, TJ Warren, 22, Alex Lynn, 22, you know, and, and they're riding those guys uh, to be the to be the ones to get them through this. Yeah, and, and let's let's kind of hit through those guys. Um, you mentioned you mentioned Devin Booker, and I wanted to touch on him for a while. I mean, he's shooting fifty seven percent from three, albeit in limited minutes, but still um, taking over three a game and making that many is pretty astronomical. And you did, as you said, he's kind of he's going to be a starter now. Um, that Bledsoe, you know, Eric Bledsoe's out for the year after having knee surgery the other day. Um, he is the youngest guy in the le- in the league right now. A lot of people saw him as a guy that was a dynamite shooter coming in but didn't necessarily do a lot else, and it might take him a little bit to get comfortable because he was so young. Um, it, it seems like he's been one of the many surprises in this rookie class. Um, you mentioned you mentioned he's doing more stuff besides just being a shooter. What have you seen from him? And uh, I imagine they, are, as a group, are pretty optimistic about him moving forward. Yeah, yeah. He's one of the brightest spots of this season, and you know, I really started to open my eyes to him during draft combine because the label, like you said, on him was that he was draft best shooter, and that was pretty much it. And and a lot of that was because he was on such a talented Kentucky team that he had to find his niche there, and you know, to to carve out his time. So his niche there was to be a six man shooter, and um, but he's capable of a lot more. You know, he's uh, the son of Melvin Booker, former great uh, University of Missouri player who had a brief NBA career and then went overseas and he spent the last couple of years of his high school with his dad to, and I think that really trained him a little bit on, on the ways of a pro. Uh, and then he obviously Kentucky takes you to another level when you're at that kind of competition every day and that spotlight. So the reason I say combine open is because he had a reputation that he wasn't an athlete, that he was just a shooter. And he like had the best shovel run, I think. And not that we put too much stock in this is an NFL combine or anything, but for him to be faster than any other player in the shuttle run said something about his athleticism. And uh, he just carries himself with such maturity for, for 19, uh, very smooth, uh, knows how to handle the ball, like even in a pick and roll, has great size for a two guard at about 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. You know, that's going to fill out more, uh, gives good effort defensively listens to coaches really dedicated to the to the game uh, you know he, he's gonna he's got a lot to still learn you know he's you know he had some moments early on where he had to figure out how to get to the <laughs> that going to the rim in the NBA is a lot different uh, but he had a moment the other night they were playing Cleveland one of their better efforts in a long time even though they lost the game he was on a fast break it was just him and LeBron James and Booker went right at him with a left-hand layup they both went up 
and you're like, okay, okay, young fella, <laughs> he's not he's not scared. <laughs> I mean, uh, LeBron must have been a little surprised about that one. Yeah, no, I saw that highlight, and I I, I did kind of laugh because I think LeBron was thinking he was going to get one of his patented chase down blocks, and instead the rookie got a layup on him, which um. Which which was impressive. Um, and and you mentioned another guy earlier in T.J. Warren, who um, was a was a big star in North Carolina. Was another mid first round draft pick for the Suns, uh, not this past summer, but the summer before. Um, he was a guy that I I liked at, at NC State. Not that I'm some kind of draft guru, but um, he just was a, he just was a monster scorer in college, and it just seemed like um, he was a guy that was going to be able to figure out a way to score in the NBA. Um, I, he, he's shooting 40% or 41% actually from three, um, which, which was something people weren't sure if he's going to add to his game, but it does seem like he's been able to at least turn himself into a, a guy that can come off the bench and score some points for the Suns, and has been another, uh, nice surprise for them, I would say so far. Yeah. The, the three point shooting was the shocker. I mean, we all saw TJ Warren. Uh, improving and working hard. The guy's a total gym rat. Just his life's basketball. <laughs> um, but the three-point shooting, I think even going into the preseason, the coaches wouldn't have told you that he was going to take very many threes or shoot a good percentage. Um, his game is the mid-range. His game is like all this old-school adult Y kind of ball. You know? He kind of <laughs> exactly. has a Paul Pierce mid-range game, and I'm not trying to say he's Paul Pierce, but that's who he. That's kind of who he reminded me of in terms yeah. of just how he plays in that area of the court. Yeah, that's a good one. That'd be, I'd actually uh, run that by him. I'd, I'd see what he'd respond to that if that's somebody he'd model after. That's a good one. Because uh, he definitely, he has like the floaters, the you know kind of off-foot, one-foot stuff. He's just so crafty around the basket. He moves without the ball like few players do. He's just always looking for that that fill cut, that slice, that backdoor baseline. Uh, gets out on the break. So he, he's another one that's moved into the starting lineup recently. So I mean, look, that's a that's a pretty young wing combo right now. When you got those two guys, um, he's got a lot to. He's come. He's improving defensively. He's still got a ways to go there. Especially that's probably the biggest area he had to improve upon. Uh, like even he's been so much better. But then like the other night there was a key possession late in the Cleveland game, and he just turned his head for a, a minuscule of time, and it was just enough uh, to lose J.R. Smith to to get a ball that ended up setting a three that put the game away. It was just. And but he's been attentive, and he's another guy that the coaches love because of the way he carries himself and how dedicated he is. He's he's not a he's not a big talker. He's he's interesting too because he's been kind of like I said how Devin Booker got schooled by his dad and as an NBA pro, TJ Warren's been uh, brought up by David West basically because they're both rally rally guys, and he was in David West club. Uh, growing up, and David West is very hands-on with that, so he's had a great mentor too. And his dad was a great player at NC State. Yeah, that I don't think people quite understand the uh, the advantage that guys that are the sons of pros um, and high high level college players have. I mean, you look at guys like like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, and you know, you go around the league, and guys that have a chance to see what that what that lifestyle is like and what the work that goes into it is like behind the scenes and kind of the day to day, you know, how to manage your time and, um, 
having somebody to lean on when you're going through your rookie season and you know you're you're trying to figure out how how to pace yourself through the season um to have somebody to have somebody like that to to lean on and to call for advice and to to um to to kind of be shown the ropes is something that I I don't think people quite understand what a benefit that is for guys like Booker and and Warren to have for them. Yeah, I agree. And and not just the game, just how about how to carry yourself and handle pressure and the outside stuff. I mean, that nobody really considers what kind of demands these guys draw once they leave the practice court. You know, I think they have these these short days that and that's all their basketball life is going and have a two hour practice and go home. There's there's so much more to it that they have to handle. You know, some of these guys that don't have that, maybe that's why we see them uh, acting out a little bit because they've never been put in check on that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree. So you mentioned, you mentioned the, uh, the Brandon Knight trade earlier. And I mean, Knight's been, Knight's been good. He's averaging nearly 20 a game and five assists. And he, he did sign a pretty good contract last summer. Um, to stay with the Suns as a restricted free agent, but that trade, um, the the I guess it was a it was almost a four team trade, but really the, specifically it was a three team trade that saw Tyler Ennis um, go from Tyler Ennis and the number three pick or not the number three pick the top three protected pick from the Lakers in this year's draft go to um, go to the Sixers and Bucks and the Bucks sent Michael Carter Williams to the to the Bucks and. The Bucks sent Brandon Knight to the Suns. That trade has kind of been, um, it, so far, I don't know if it's necessarily worked out for any of the three teams involved in terms of how they've played since then. But looking at looking at the Suns moving forward, do you do you see Brandon Knight as a guy that is a a piece of a playoff contender in the West, um, or do you or do you think he's just a nice player on a nice contract that maybe down the road? Right could be used to get that kind of guy yeah and that's a big question Phoenix. like will they continue to stick to this sort of two playmaker system although i i wonder how much really it is a two playmaker system anymore even though brandon knight's been a point guard for four years he's primarily been off guard here now now he's back on the ball of course with bledsoe out but he was pretty much a shooting guard for most of the game except when bledsoe was out you know they would run some things initiate some things with them fast break wise and occasionally in half court off you know they love the way he shoots and he's been really streaky times had some huge games had 38 point game at a i think a 15 or 16 assist game but he's also had a couple eight turnover games and an 0 for 12 shooting game so it's been a little bit all over the place and of course i mentioned too that defensively he's been lagging really hard worker um really good kid uh, too yeah super smart like could have gone to i think yale was it uh out of high school so it wasn't for for basketball so he's really sharp um still trying to i think fit in you know the trade really hit him hard last year because milwaukee really had a feel-good situation going there and he was really close to chris middleton and you know they were uh what i forget their record 20 23 something like that they were over 500 and playing very well and then they traded him and things went south fast right and it hasn't really gone great in Phoenix either, so it's not like he can go na 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 boo boo. You guys are bad without me. <laughs> like, he hasn't turned <laughs> right. around the Suns either. <laughs> but yeah, you've definitely seen the effect it had him uh, him leaving the Bucks. So you know their thought with him is it was a big you know that was a big piece to cash in that Lakers pick. That's I mean that thing's only top three protected this year. But their thought was that say they sacrifice say 
it could have been a number four pick this year that they gave up on. Their thought is if they drafted somebody at number four, they would only hope that he could become a Brandon Knight someday. And so why not get the guy that they know is Brandon Knight, <laughs> uh, if that makes sense? No, it makes total sense. I mean, look, anytime you make a trade like that, um, you know, it's easy for, for fans to sit at home or even us in the media to sit and look at a trade like that and say, why would you give up a potential top five pick for Brandon Knight? I mean, Brandon Knight was a borderline all-star in the East last year. I think he's a good player. And also, you know, like you said, I mean, let's say the Lakers finish in the top three this year. Who's to say they're not going to go out and get a new coach, maybe some guy like Tom Thibodeau, maybe they go spend a bunch of money, maybe they get someone like Kevin Durant to go there with all these young players they have, and then all of a sudden, you know, if they win 55 games next year, you're not giving up a top five pick, you're giving up a top 25 pick. And right. so, absolutely. You know, so it, it, I, I definitely don't think it's a, a no-brainer. Now, I should have probably touched on this earlier, but I was kind of um, I was kind of surprised about the Bledsoe news when it was announced he was out for the season. Um, only because I thought I'd seen um, either the day before or two days before that Jeff Hornacek had said he was probably only going to be out for six weeks or so. So I, I guess my question is, were you surprised at the announcement that he was going to miss the rest of the season? And, and what led to that discrepancy? Because that is a pretty significant change from, you know, a six to eight week injury to a basically four month one. Right. Yeah, well, you know, as you know, with when he had a torn meniscus, and when you have a meniscus injury, you know, there's two options: you repair it or you you remove it. And I think when Hornacek was speaking, I think he was under the impression that it was going to be removed. You know, guys had meniscus injuries in his career, and you know, probably just thinking back to the timeline, maybe talking to uh, to the staff and hearing the possibilities. And you know, at at first, I think Ryan McDonough even said that they were hopeful that he would come back for the season so well and eric had also and eric had also had his uh meniscus and his other knee already removed right the year or two before right and it's it's the same sequence when he was with the clippers he first uh damaged it and he had it repaired in 2011 well and and this is the whole decision repair versus removal you know repair is supposed to be better for the long term um for the knee because you don't you know, you don't have bone on bone in there if you if you repair it. But there's also the possibility that the repair doesn't take or last. So in that other knee, he eventually had to have it removed in 2014. And that's where the timeline's quicker. And so that's why that season he came back uh, two months later and, and played for the rest of the season. But with a, with a repair, the timeline's longer, so it puts him out for the rest of the year. Um, you know, we haven't been able to, talk to Bledsoe yet really to find out all the factors but just from hearing all the staff talk about it it was it was what was in Bledsoe's best interest for his long-term health and for the good of the knee and so if, if it can be repaired this way you know it, it's better for the lasting part of his knee to to do it and uh, I'm sure the situation with the team probably factors in I mean, I'm not sure that will be said but you know a team that's 12 and 21 is do you how much do you press to come back for that team and risk your health. Right. If the Suns were 21 and 12, it might be a different calculus than if they're 12 and 21. I mean, it's just, that's just kind of, yeah. the, that's just kind of the facts of, uh, of reality really. Um, and he's under contract for three more years past this too. So they're not making any short term decisions. Sure. Sure. Exactly. They see him as a, as a long-term piece there and understandably so. So, you know, obviously with him out of the picture, 
season's already in kind of rough shape. Um, you know, they are they are looking like they're going to probably finish somewhere at the bottom of the West. Maybe they do finally end up with that high draft pick that they thought they were going to get a couple years ago. Um, how how do you see these next few months shaking out in Phoenix? Do you do you see them maybe exploring um, not just moving on from from uh, Markeith, but maybe going further in terms of changing the roster? Do you see them riding things out with the young guys and just kind of wait until the summer to maybe make changes? How do, how do you see these next few months playing out? Yeah, this this next month, month and a half will be interesting because they, at least publicly, aren't giving up on the season because the Western Conference is so forgiving that for as bad as they've been to lose 16 of 21, they're, I think, three games out of the eighth spot right now. <laughs> and who would have ever thought that in the West? Uh, so, you know, they kind of look at things right now like they've got 49 games left. I think as we speak, last season they started the season 28 and 20. And they're like, well, if we just do that again, we're probably in the playoffs. Because uh, it put them right around 500, and 500 might do it this year in the West, given how everybody is. Now, they're they're in a lot tougher bind to do that. You know, they're a different team without Eric Bledsoe. They've had to tweak the offense a little bit. Um, they're, and, and the Tyson Chandler thing will be interesting, too. You know, do they go back full with him? You know, at some point, do they look at that and if it's not the piece that they thought it was going to be for the long term then then does he get moved um he just hasn't been the player i mean he's been limited obviously by the hamstring but he hasn't been anywhere near the player he was the last few years he's one of the best rebounders and defenders in the league and one of the most efficient offensive guys because he stuck sticks to pick and rolls and dunks and they just never figured out that timing so a lot of that still i think has to play out but i think if if they continue along this vein uh, into all-star break, then we'll probably see a little bit more shakeup again. Well, and, and that Chan- Chandler, I mean, is an over 30 guy with an injury history with a pretty rough contract. I mean, you're looking at like 13, 14 million each of the next three years, which is, um, which is a hefty price. And um, it, his field goal percentage is way down, like you mentioned. And, and I do wonder, did do you think they really took into account when they were going after him, that they didn't really have the point guards to kind of fit the way he plays? Because Tyson, Tyson's tyson been, like DeAndre Jordan, a really good field goal percentage guy because, like you said, he's great on you know set, creating space in the pick and roll and kind of catching those lobs for dunks. But um, the the Suns' point guards, while I think they're both talented, you know, Bledsoe and, and Knight are more shoot-first guys as opposed to you know, kind of running the pick and roll that way. Do you do you think that's just kind of been an awkward fit offensively? Yeah, I I think signing Chandler was part of the idea of raising those guys' playmaking ability. Um, because last season the Suns were one of the best pick and roll teams as far as like efficiency, but they didn't do it very often because they didn't really have roll guys. But when they did do it, they were really good at it. Um, so they thought by having an actual role guy, which gosh, they probably haven't had since like Amari, <laughs> right, right, uh, in the heyday, that that it would maybe bring you know they got two point guards who could do it with them, and but like you said, neither of them have been what you would consider the greatest playmakers. You know, they're both kind of scoring point guards. Both have been high turnover guys. Both have been in the bottom of uh, assist to turnover ratio in the past couple of years in the league. And they just never got that timing down. And it was it didn't help that, you know, he ended up getting hurt uh, in the middle of November on top of it. But, 
even before that, there just wasn't that many pick and roll lobs. You didn't see how oops, uh, when it did happen, the, their, their spacing was tight or the passes were off. And it just to see Tyson Chandler, a guy that makes like two thirds of his shots last year, be below 50% is obviously saying something about how it's working out. Yeah, no, totally. Um, now we didn't actually really, uh, pin, pin down on Hornacek earlier. Um, uh, there has been a lot of talk about his future with the franchise recently. They did obviously get rid of Longobardi and Sicton the other day. Um, what do you, what do you think the situation is going to be there moving forward? Do you think he um, has a chance to stick in this job past this season, or do you think that given everything that's happened, um, regardless of whether you think he's a good coach or not, which I, you know I think you said that you do. Um, do you think that this is going to result in whether it's sometime before the end of the season or at the end of the season, um, him yeah. moving on to something else? Sometimes you're a good coach and you just don't match the team well or fit the team well. And, you know, it's, I think a little bit of that is going on now, but there's still um, he still has ability, and you know, maybe with some some things settling down, some, something will change here. He, you know, the other day I asked Ryan McDonough about you know all these assistant changes that really evoke a confidence that they support Jeff because they they took two assistants off the staff in the summertime now two more are gone so none of the assistants are left from last season and Jeff's still there so to me that's showing that they're trying to make it work with him that they believe in him and I know that Ryan McDonough and Jeff Hornacek have a great relationship they've been always on the same page talk regularly you know after practices other times uh Robert Sarver has been a big supporter of, of Hornacek uh, Horsek does a lot for the franchise, you know, outside of coaching. He's been a popular figure in Phoenix because he played there. He does a lot of the, the public community type stuff for them. So that helps. Um, so I think he's, he's got time over the course of the rest of the season to, to show, but you know, you just wonder too, with the way they rapidly promoted two first year back row assistants in, uh, or Watson and Nate Bjorkren, you know, what that says, are they trying to get somebody else ready? Uh, if, if they feel like they need to make a move, you know, in the off season or something, because it would be hard to promote a back guy, back row guy to that seat like they did with Lindsey Hunter, and that was disastrous a couple of years ago when they did that. And yeah, that wasn't. We don't great. want to repeat that sort of thing. Yeah, that wasn't <laughs> <No>. great. <laughs> every every time I reference how bad they've played lately, all I have to do is look back to that stretch <laughs> to find the last time they played that. Bad yeah, thing. easy reference point: the Lindsey Hunter era <laughs> in Suns basketball. Not great. Um, so, so what, so I guess it's, I guess you, I guess the, the, the answer to that then is that it's, um, it, it's still to be determined and that you, you, there's not a great feel either way at this point for the way things will shake out. No, I, yeah, I, I think the rest of the season will dictate a lot of it. I, I think from talking to them that I think they're hopeful that he can still be their coach. I mean, when he was hired and had that success the first year, it had the look of a, of a guy who could be a coach at, you know, for here for a long time, which you don't see a lot of places, but just, you know, he already lived in Phoenix before he got hired. Even in the Utah years, he kept his home in Phoenix. He was a, he was a son for a long time. So it looked like a guy that would, you know, he, he was getting recruited by Charlotte at the same time as Phoenix and he wanted to be here. So it just seemed like the guy that would stay here as, as long as he had success. So I think they want it to, to work out. And uh, McDonough's comments to me the other day was that, they're going to give Jeff every opportunity uh, to have success. So I think that says that 
here they're going to do whatever they can for the rest of the season. Maybe that involves more roster moves too to to give him what he needs. Well, I think that's a pretty good place to end things. Um, Paul, thanks for coming on. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter, and what stuff do you have to plug from your excellent work at the Arizona Republic? Uh, Twitter is just simple at Paul Coro, C O R O. And uh, all of uh, our work, uh, my work, is on uh, azcentral.com. That's the Arizona Republic's website. And there's also a app, uh, a Suns app. Uh, it's called Suns Extra app that you can find off the website or, or by searching on there. And that has all our Suns stories, too. So, um, yeah, that's a good place to find stuff. Look at you plugging apps. That's a first on the <laughs> podcast. I haven't got anyone come on and plug an app before. You're I don't hip. have a podcast to, to, to plug, so I'll go with <laughs> You're you're pretty hip, man. You should tell your you should tell your kids you're up with the uh you're up with the times. <laughs> I'm not gonna plug my daughter's Twitter yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a good idea. Um you can find me at the Washington Post. Uh please uh subscribe to the podcast, give us a five star review on iTunes, that'd be super. Um Music for the podcast provided by the Sports Digital at the Washington Post, Glenn Yoder, on his band, The Western States. So thanks to Glenn for that. And, Paul, thanks for coming on to talk about the uh, crazy suns. Hopefully, at least for a little while, things slow down a bit for you and you can you can catch your breath after a crazy few weeks. Thanks. You're, you're a great colleague and a good friend, and everybody should know that one night everybody got to see a Suns-Nets story because Tim lent me his laptop when mine broke down for the night. So assist to you well it was it was the best story written on my computer in a long time so that was that was an easy thing to do <laughs> so thanks paul and i'll talk I to you soon i remember nothing about that game by the way <laughs> <laughs> you were pretty frazzled so that's that's an understandable uh that's an understandable thing but i was happy to help you out so thanks for coming on man i'll talk to you soon all right take care